Hello and welcome, friends, family, and of course, enemies alike, to episode 139 of Reading Cadence. I am your host, the displaced Wisconsinite, Phil Olson. Now, during this odd-numbered episode, we are continuing through The Casebook of Sherlock Holmes by, of course, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. We are finishing up the case, The Adventure of the Three Garadebs. Now, the plot line has been pretty predictable up to this point. So, there's this one man, John Garadeb, who is, of course, an American, so we know he's the bad guy. It's just, it's just a staple of British literature. I can't explain it. But John Garadeb comes up to them and says, I met a man in Kansas named Alexander Hamilton Garadeb. This guy was very wealthy, had a lot of land, and told me that if I could find two other Garadebs, his will dictates that I would stand to inherit $5 million along with this land split up in thirds amongst the other two Garadebs that are found. Couldn't find any others in America, so I went to England, found a dude named Nathan Garadeb, explained the story. He called you, apparently, because he wants to get this remaining Garadeb badly. And we have been so far unsuccessful in finding the third Garadeb. So, just wanted to bring you up to speed here on where we're at, and would appreciate greatly your help in finding this third Garadeb. After he tells this tale to Holmes, Holmes is rather suspicious of this John Garadeb fellow, because he doesn't quite appear to be the person he says he is. What a surprise. Again, the American is always the bad guy. But I digress. Let's continue the story and see if I planted egg on my face. With The Adventure of the Three Garadebs, Part 2, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It was twilight of a lovely spring evening, and even Little Ryder Street, one of the smaller offshoots of the Edgware Road, within a stone cast of old Tyburn Tree of evil memory, looked golden and wonderful in the slanting rays of the setting sun. The particular house to which we were directed was a large old-fashioned early Georgian edifice with a flat brick face broken only by two deep bay windows on the ground floor. It was on this ground floor that our client lived, and indeed, the low windows proved to be the front of the huge room in which he spent his waking hours. Holmes pointed as we passed to the small brass plate which bore the curious name. Up some years, Watson, he remarked, indicating its discolored surface. It's his real name, anyhow, and that is something to note. The house had a common stair, and there was a number of names painted in the hall, some indicating offices, and some private chambers. It was not a collection of residential flats, but rather the abode of bohemian bachelors. Our client opened the door for us himself, and apologized by saying that the woman in charge left at four o'clock. Mr. Nathan Garadell proved to be a very tall, 
loose-jointed, round-backed person, gaunt and bald, some sixty-odd years of age. He had a cadaverous face, with the dull, dead skin of a man to whom exercise was unknown. Large, round spectacles and a small projecting goat's beard combined with his stooping attitude to give him an expression of peering curiosity. The general effect, however, was amiable, though eccentric. The room was as curious as its occupant. It looked like a small museum. It was both broad and deep, with cupboards and cabinets all round, crowded with specimens, geological and anatomical. Cases of butterflies and moths flanked each side of the entrance. A large table in the center was littered with all sorts of debris, while the tall brass tube of a powerful microscope bristled up amongst them. As I glanced around, I was surprised at the universality of the man's interests. Here was a case of ancient coins. There was a cabinet of flint instruments. Behind his central table was a large cupboard of fossil bones. Above was a line of plaster skulls with such names as Neanderthal, Heidelberg, Cro-Magnon, printed beneath them. It was clear that he was a student of many subjects. As he stood in front of us now, he held a piece of chamois leather in his right hand, with which he was polishing coin. Syracusan of the best period, he explained, holding it up. They degenerated greatly towards the end. At their best, I hold them supreme, though some prefer the Alexandrian school. You will find a chair here, Mr. Holmes. Pray allow me to clear these bones. Uh, and you, sir? Ah, yes, Dr. Watson. If you would have the goodness to put the Japanese vase to one side. You see around me my little interests in life. My doctor lectures me about never going out. But why should I go out when I have so much to hold me here? I can assure you that the adequate cataloging of one of those cabinets would take me three good months. Holmes looked round him with curiosity. But do you tell me that you never go out? He said. Now and again I drive down to Sotheby's or Christie's. Otherwise I very seldom leave my room. Not too strong, and my researches are very absorbing. But you can imagine, Mr. Holmes, what a terrific shock, pleasant but terrific, it was for me when I heard of this unparalleled good fortune. It only needs one more Garadeb to complete the matter, and surely we can find one. I had a brother, but he is dead, and female relatives are disqualified. But there must surely be others in the world. I had heard that you handled strange cases, and that was why I had sent you. Of course, this American gentleman is quite right, and I should have taken his advice first, but I acted for the best. I think you acted very wisely indeed, said Holmes. But are you really anxious to acquire an estate in America? Oh, certainly not, sir. Nothing would induce me to leave my collection. But this gentleman has assured me that he will buy me out as soon as we have established our claim. Five million dollars was the sum named. 
There are dozen specimens in the market at the present moment which fill gaps in my collection and which I am unable to purchase for want of a few hundred pounds. Just think what I could do with five million dollars. Why, I have the nucleus of a national collection. I shall be the Hans Sloan of my age. His eyes gleamed behind his great spectacles. It was very clear that no pains would be spared by Mr. Nathan Garadab in finding a namesake. I merely called to make your acquaintance, and there is no reason why I should interrupt your studies, said Holmes. I prefer to establish a personal touch with those with whom I do business. There are a few questions I need to ask, for I have your very clear narrative in my pocket, and I filled up some of the blanks when this American gentleman called. I understand that up to this week, you were unaware of his existence? That is so. He called last Tuesday. Did he tell you of our interview today? Uh, yes. He came straight back to me. He had been very angry. Why should he be angry? He seemed to think it was some reflection on his honor. But he was quite cheerful again when he returned. Did he suggest any course of action? No, sir. He did not. Has he had or asked for any money from you? No, sir. Never. You see no possible object he has in view? None, except what he states. Did you tell him of our telephone appointment? Yes, sir, I did. Holmes was lost in thought. I could see that he was puzzled. Have you any articles of great value in your collection? Oh, no, sir. I'm not a rich man. It is a good collection, but not a very valuable one, I'm afraid. You have no fear of burglars? <laughs> not the least. How long have you been in these rooms? Uh, nearly five years. Holmes' cross-examination was interrupted by an imperative knocking at the door. No sooner had our client unlatched it than the American lawyer burst excitedly into the room. Here you are, he cried, waving a paper over his head. I thought I should be in time to get you, Mr. Nathan Garadeb. My congratulations! You are a rich man, sir. Our business is happily finished and all is well. As to you, Mr. Holmes, we can only say we are sorry if we have given you any useless trouble. He handed over the paper to our client, who stood staring at a market advertisement. Holmes and I leaned forward and read it over his shoulder. This is how it ran. Howard Garadeb, Constructor of Agricultural Machinery. Binders, reapers, steam and hand plows, drills, harrows, farmer's carts, buckboards and all other appliances. Estimates for artesian wells. Apply, Grosvenor Buildings, Aston. Glorious! gasped our host. That makes our third man! I opened up inquiries in Birmingham, said the American. 
and my agent there has sent me this advertisement from a local paper. We must hustle and put the thing through. I've written to this man and told him that you will see him in his office tomorrow afternoon at four o'clock. You want me to see him? What do you say, Mr. Holmes? Don't you think it would be wiser? Here am I, a wandering American with a wonderful tale. Why should he believe what I tell him? But you are a Britisher with solid references, and he is bound to take notice of what you say. I would go with you if you wished, but I have a very busy day tomorrow. I could always follow you if you are in any trouble. Well, I had not made such a journey for years. It is nothing, Mr. Garadab. I have figured out your connections. You leave at twelve and should be there soon after two. Then you can go back the same night. All you have to do is see this man, explain the matter, and get an affidavit of his existence. By the Lord, he added hotly, considering I've come all the way from the center of America, it is surely little enough if you go a hundred miles in order to put this matter through. Quite so, said Holmes. I think what this gentleman says is very true. Mr. Nathan Garadab shrugged his shoulders with a disconsolate air. Well, if you insist, I shall go, said he. It is certainly hard for me to refuse anything, considering the glory of hope that you have brought into my life. Then that is agreed, said Holmes. And, no doubt, you will let me have a report as soon as you can. I'll see to that, said the American. Well, he added, looking at his watch, I'll have to get on. I'll call tomorrow, Mr. Nathan, and see you off to Birmingham. Coming my way, Mr. Holmes? Well, then, goodbye, and we may have good news for you tomorrow night. I noticed that my friend's face cleared when the American left the room, and the look of thoughtful perplexity had vanished. I wish I could look over your collection, Mr. Garadab, said he. In my profession, all sorts of odd knowledge comes useful, and this room of yours is a storehouse for it. Our client shone with pleasure, and his eyes gleamed from behind his big glasses. I had always heard, sir, that you were a very intelligent man, said he. I could take you round now, if you have the time. Unfortunately, I have not, but these specimens are so well labeled and classified that they hardly need your personal explanation. If I should be able to look in tomorrow, I presume that there would be no objection to my glancing over them? None at all. You are most welcome. The place will, of course, be shut up, but Mrs. Saunders is in the basement up to four o'clock and would let you in with her key. Well... I happen to be clear tomorrow afternoon. If you would say a word to Mrs. Saunders, it would be quite in order. By the way, who is your house agent? Our client was amazed at the sudden question. Holloway and Steele in the Edgware Road. But why? I'm a bit of an archaeologist myself when it comes to houses, said Holmes, laughing. I was wondering if this was Queen Anne or Georgian. Georgian, beyond doubt. Really? 
I should have thought it a little earlier. However, it is easily ascertained. Well, goodbye, Mr. Garadab, and may you have every success in your Birmingham journey. The house agent's was close by, but we found that it was closed for the day, so we made our way back to Baker Street. It was not till after dinner that Holmes reverted to the subject. Our little problem draws to a close, said he. No doubt you have outlined the solution in your own mind. I can make neither head nor tail of it. The head is surely clear enough, and the tail we shall see tomorrow. Did you notice nothing curious about that advertisement? I saw that the word plow was misspelt. Oh, you did notice that, did you? Come, Watson, you improve all the time. Yes, it was bad English, but good American. The printer had set it up as received. Then, the buckboards. That is American also. And artesian wells are commoner with them than with us. It was a typical American advertisement, but purporting to be from an English firm. What do you make of that? I can only suppose that this American lawyer put it in himself. But what his object was, I fail to understand. Well, there are alternative explanations. Anyhow, he wanted to get this good old fossil up to Birmingham. That is very clear. I might have told him that he was clearly going on a wild goose chase, but on second thoughts, it seemed better to clear the stage by letting him go. Tomorrow, Watson, well, tomorrow will speak for itself. Holmes was up and out early. When he returned at lunchtime, I noticed that his face was very grave. This is a more serious matter than I had expected, Watson, said he. It is fair to tell you so, though I know it will only be an additional reason to you for running your head into danger. I should know my Watson by now. But there is danger, and you should know it. Well, it's not the first we have shared, Holmes. I hope it may not be the last. What is the particular danger this time? We are up against a very hard case. I have identified Mr. John Garadeb, Counselor's Law. He is none other than Killer Evans, of sinister and murderous reputation. I fear I am none the wiser. Ah, it is not part of your profession to carry about a portable Newgate calendar in your memory. I have been down to see a friend, Lestrade, at the yard. There may be an occasional want of imaginative intuition down there, but they lead the world for thoroughness and method. I had an idea that we might get on track of our American friend in their records. Sure enough, I found his chubby face smiling up at me from the rogue's portrait gallery. James Winter, alias Moorcroft, alias Killer Evans, was the inscription below. Holmes drew an envelope from his pocket. I scribbled down a few points from his dossier. Aged 44, native of Chicago, known to have shot three men in the States, escaped from penitentiary through political influence, 
came to London in 1893, shot a man over cards in a nightclub in the Waterloo Road in January 1895. Man died, but he was shown to have been the aggressor in the row. Dead man was identified as Roger Prescott, famous as forgerer and coiner in Chicago. Killer Evans, released in 1901, has been under police supervision since, but so far as known, has led an honest life. Very dangerous man, usually carries arms and is prepared to use them. That is our bird, Watson, a sporting bird, as you must admit. But uh, what is his game? Well, it begins to define itself. I've been to the house agents. Our client, as he told us, has been there five years. It was unlet for a year before then. The previous tenant was a gentleman at large named Waldron. Waldron's appearance was well remembered at the office. He had suddenly vanished, and nothing more had been heard of him. He was a tall, bearded man with very dark features. Now, Prescott, the man whom Killer Evans had shot, was, according to Scotland Yard, a tall, dark man with a beard. As a working hypothesis, I think we may take it that Prescott, the American criminal, used to live in the very room which our innocent friend now devotes to his museum. So, at last, we get a link, you see. And the next link? Well, we must go now and look for that. He took a revolver from the drawer and handed it to me. I have my old favorite with me. If our Wild West friend tries to live up to his nickname, we must be ready for him. I'll give you an hour for a siesta, Watson, and then I think it will be time for our Ryder Street adventure. It was just four o'clock when we reached the curious apartment of Nathan Garadeb. Mrs. Saunders, the caretaker, was about to leave, but she had no hesitation in admitting us, for the door shut with a spring lock, and Holmes promised to see that all was safe before we left. Shortly afterwards, the outer door closed. Her bonnet passed to the bow window, and we knew that we were alone in the lower floor of the house. Holmes made a rapid examination of the premises. There was one cupboard in a dark corner which stood out a little from the wall. It was behind this that we eventually crouched, while Holmes, in a whisper, outlined his intentions. He wanted to get our amiable friend out of this room. That is very clear. And, as the collector never went out, it took some planning to do it. The whole of this Garadab invention was apparently for no other end. I must say, Watson, that there is a certain devilish ingenuity about it, even if the queer name of the tenant did give him an opening which he could hardly have expected. He wove his plot with remarkable cunning. But uh, what did he want? Well, that is what we are here to find out. It is nothing whatever to do with our client, so far as I can read the situation. It is something connected with the man he murdered. The man who may have been his confederate in the crime. There is some guilty secret in the room. That is how I read it. At first, 
I thought our friend might have something in his collection more valuable than he knew. Something worth the attention of a big criminal. But the fact that Roger Prescott, of evil memory, inhabited these rooms points to some deeper reason. Well, Watson, we can but possess our souls in patience and see what the hour may bring. That hour was not long in striking. We crouched closer in the shadow as we heard the outer door open and shut. Then came the sharp metallic snap of a key, and the American was in the room. He closed the door softly behind him, took a sharp glance round him to see that all was safe, threw off his overcoat, and walked up to the central table with the brisk manner of one who knows exactly what he has to do and how to do it. He pushed the table to one side, tore up the square of carpet on which it rested, rolled it completely back, and then, drawing a jemmy from his inside pocket, he knelt down and worked vigorously upon the floor. Presently, we heard the sound of sliding boards, and an instant later, a square had opened in the planks. Killer Evans struck a match, lit a stump of candle, and vanished from our view. Clearly our moment had come. Holmes touched my wrist as a signal, and together we stole across to the open trap door. Gently as we moved, however, the old floor must have creaked under our feet, for the head of our American peering anxiously around emerged suddenly from the open space. His face turned upon us with a glare of baffled rage, which gradually softened into a rather shamefaced grin as he realized the two pistols were pointed at his head. Well, well, said he coolly as he scrambled to the surface. I guess you have been one too many for me, Mr. Holmes. Saw through my game, I suppose, and played me for a sucker from the first. Well, sir, I hand it to you. You have beat me, and in an instant he had whisked out a revolver from his breast and had fired two shots. I felt a sudden hot sear, as if a red-hot iron had been pressed to my thigh. There was a crash as Holmes's pistol came down on the man's head. I had a vision of him sprawling upon the floor with blood running down his face while Holmes rummaged him for weapons. Then my friend's wiry arms were round me, and he was leading me to a chair. You're not hurt, Watson. For God's sake, say that you are not hurt. It was worth a wound. It was worth many wounds to know the depth of loyalty and love which lay behind that cold mask. The clear, hard eyes were dimmed for a moment, and the firm lips were shaking. For the one and only time, I caught a glimpse of a great heart as well as of a great brain. All my years of humble but single-minded service culminated in that moment of revelation. It's nothing, Holmes. It's a, it's a mere scratch. He had ripped up my trousers with his pocket knife. You are right, he cried with an immense sigh of relief. It is quite superficial. 
His face set like flint as he glared at our prisoner, who was sitting up with a dazed face. By the Lord, it is as well for you. If you had killed Watson, you would not have gone out of this room alive. Now, sir, what have you to say for yourself? He had nothing to say for himself. He only lay and scowled. I leaned on Holmes's arm, and together we looked down into the small cellar which had been disclosed by the secret flap. It was still illuminated by the candle which Evans had taken down with him. Our eyes fell upon a mass of rusted machinery, great rolls of paper, a litter of bottles, and, neatly arranged upon a small table, a number of neat little bundles. A printing press! A counterfeiter's outfit, said Holmes. Yes, sir, said our prisoner, staggering slowly to his feet and then sinking into the chair. The greatest counterfeiter London ever saw. That's Prescott's machine, and those bundles on the table are 2,000 of Prescott's notes, with a hundred each, and fit to pass anywhere. Help yourselves, gentlemen. Call it a deal and let me beat it. Holmes laughed. We don't do things like that, Mr. Evans. There is no bolt hole for you in this country. You shot this man Prescott, did you not? Yes, sir. I got five years for it, though it was he who pulled on me. Five years when I would have had a medal the size of a soup plate. No living man could tell a Prescott from a Bank of England, and if I hadn't put him out, he would have flooded London with them. I was the only one in the world who knew where he had made them. Can you wonder that I wanted to get to the place? And can you wonder that when I found this crazy boob of a bug hunter with a queer name squatting right on the top of it and never quitting his room, I had to do the best I could to shift him? Maybe I would have been wiser if I'd put him away. It would have been easy enough. But I'm a soft-hearted guy that can't begin shooting unless the other man has a gun also. But say, Mr. Holmes, what have I done wrong, anyhow? I've not used this plant. I've not hurt this old stiff. Where do you get me? Only attempted murder, so far as I can see, said Holmes. But that's not our job. They take that at the next stage. What we wanted at present was just your sweet self. Please give the yard a call, Watson. It won't be entirely unexpected. So, those were the facts about Killer Evans and his remarkable invention of the three Garadabs. We heard later that our poor old friend never got over the shock of his dissipated dreams. When his castle in the air fell down, it buried him beneath the ruins. He was last heard of it at a nursing home in Brixton. It was a glad day at the yard when the Prescott outfit was discovered, for they knew that it had existed. They had never been able, after the death of the man, to find out where it was. Evans had indeed done great service, and caused several worthy CID men to sleep the sounder, for the counterfeiter stands in a class by himself as a public danger.
they would willingly have subscribed to that soup plate metal of which the criminal had spoken, but an unappreciative bench took a less favorable view, and the killer returned to those shades from which he had just emerged. End of The Adventure of the Three Garadebs, Part 2, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Wow! You're telling me an American was the bad guy all along? What? Who would have thunk it? But I digress, because what kind of name is Killer Evans? I mean, Sherlock had to go out of his way to say, Ah yes, Killer Evans. He has a most murderous reputation. Oh, really, Sherlock? What kind of inductive and deductive reasoning skills did you have to conjure up in your mind to come to that conclusion? Hmm. Killer Evans. Killer Evans. Hmm. Doesn't really evoke, you know, family man in my mind, to be honest. Not gonna let him babysit my unborn children anytime soon. So, that was a pretty rough time for Sherlock's. Like, Watson could have come to that conclusion. But while I'm on the subject, if I may be so bold to kill her, might I critique huh, your methodology for acquiring your counterfeit machinery from Nathan? Because, let's be real, there were some better options afforded to you. Think about it for a second. Bear with me. What are you trying to acquire? A counterfeit, money-making machine. Seems like a really valuable asset to me. If I've learned anything from Dora Explorer, you gotta, you gotta count up your assets and resources that you have and use them to your advantage. So, you've got a counterfeit money-making machine that you will acquire if you can get your hands on it. So you can promise the world to Nate and actually mean it. You could even go straight from this situation, you know, and go back onto the straight and narrow path. Because you could be like, hey man, like, this was a childhood home of mine, and you'd tell it in like a sob story way, you know? really milk it out, right? And you'd be like, this was a childhood home, had to leave when I was young, but when I was a kid, I buried some stuff in the floorboards, um, and it doesn't really mean a lot to anybody, but it means the world to me, and I would just really appreciate it if uh, I could just, you know, get access to that again, get those trinkets, and, and I'll be on my way, and I will refund you any damage that I make because I can't quite remember what floorboards it was <laughs> so you know we're just gonna have to guess and check a little bit but um you know if you if you wouldn't mind if it wouldn't be such an imposition would love to do it you know killer Evans nice to meet you <laughs> so um you know he could have gone that route um another thing he could have done after the fact or before the fact even is he could have said, hey, 
you know, my name's Killer Evans. Like, I just moved into the neighborhood. Um, you know, I'd love to get to know you better. And if you just sat down with the guy, I mean, Nate is a pretty approachable person. Um, he's your classic nerd, very antisocial, doesn't have a lot of friends. I mean, and has a very simple mind, which no, no offense to him, but I just offended him anyway. Um, but I feel like Killer didn't have to come up with such an elaborate scheme to win over Nate. Okay, let's be, let's be real here. He could have actually, who knows, come out with a good friendship out of it all. You know, because again, he is stealing. He is stealing. He is reacquiring, let's just say, a very pinpoint accurate counterfeit money-making machine. It fools the Bank of England. So, I, f I feel like he's got a good, pretty good racket here. You know, if he wanted to, he could help out grow Nate's artifacts collection and could be a curator of sorts, sponsor some archaeology digs, or, you know, go to some museums and see what he could work with. Because, again, he can print out any level of money that he needs and use it to kind of wash the money that he's acquired to actually get some like real stuff back this could be a really good like symbiotic relationship that could form and develop i feel like killer just needed to you know get back on his feet he had a really rough early life okay for to acquire a name like killer evans you know you had to have a really rough rough time in life to get to that point but i want you all to understand that no one is irredeemable and who knows this relationship this friendship with nate could have been a stepping stone for killer to uh to, to reform as it were out of the the shackles that he broke himself out of and ended up murdering somebody so you know we all have our rough spots but one redeemable quality that I saw in Killer as he was talking to Sherlock was where, you know, he was talking about how, like, hey, you know, I could have offed Nate. I could have. My name's Killer. I could have. But, you know, I, I have a thing against shooting at unarmed people. And to you and me, that doesn't, that doesn't seem like a lot. That seems like a really minor thing. But for a guy who has the nickname Killer, that, like, that was huge. That was very big of him. And um, I feel like, he, yeah, he's, he's on his way, on a path to recovery. And if there's any moral that can be drawn out of this storyline, is that anyone is redeemable. If Killer can be redeemed for his crimes, so can you. Never mind that he shot Watson in the thigh. Okay, let's, you know, again, baby steps, work in progress. But I feel like we were really making some valuable progress here. So thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Reading Cadence after this incredibly inspiring case that we just got to read through. Um, next week, we are going to be continuing to read through The Great Gatsby, and uh, I hope to have you back then. But as they say in showbiz, for now, 
that's all he wrote.